0: Setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine.
1: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. As many of you know, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, professor of psychology at the University of Albany, author of the Oxford University Pressbook, Understanding Marijuana, and I pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. Uh, I want to give my hearty thanks to everyone for the praise I've received for burning issues. If you feel you need to reach me, I'm at 420research at gmail.com. That's the numbers, 420research at gmail.com. Today we'll have a new segment on self-compassion and the art of activism. But first, we'll chat with marijuana media maven, Russ Belleville, one of the key movers and shakers at Portland Normal. Russ has run a podcast for over a decade. He's been to literally almost every single festival and conference that's related to the cause. Uh, Our hearty burning issues, welcome. Thanks for being on the show, Russ.
2: Hey, thank you, Dr. Mitch. Great to be here.
1: So I just wanted to start with just... Uh, Your tale for how you joined the cannabis reform movement. Can you let us know how you got in?
2: Yeah, I got in because the hair in my armpits determined that I wasn't qualified to have an IT career anymore.
1: As startling (laughs) as that sounds, I know it's happened to more than one person. So you literally had to take a drug test in order to have a job that had nothing to do with anything relevant.
2: Right. I I had been working as an information technology contractor for years and when it came time to take a permanent job, they required a drug test, which turned out to be a hair test, which turned out to be incredibly accurate. And I was disqualified from taking the position that I'd been doing for two years to Stellar Reviews. And it was that moment when I decided I'm going to take all my computer skills, public speaking and fancy suits and use them for the forces of good and end this stupid marijuana prohibition.
1: Oh man. Well so you're at least in one of the areas where we've made a lot of progress. Can you sort of give us a feel for what are things like in Oregon and even Washington now compared to, you know, even just a few months ago?
2: Yeah, you know, since marijuana legalization, the riots haven't stopped, the fires, they're still trying to put out the fires, (laughs) the kids roaming the streets searching in search of strains, the pot zombies are loose. No, Dr. Mitch, it's like waking up the day after or the day before legalization, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I mean, the trains run on time, people still go to work, kids still go to school. Uh, One significant difference, though, would be the sight of billboards throughout our city. Much like you'd see a billboard for whiskey or craft beer, you're now seeing billboards for shatter and uh, flowers. So that's one significant difference. But otherwise, life is uh, going along pretty much the way it always has in Portland, Oregon.
1: You were so gracious to drive me around there. And I was uh, kind of pleasantly surprised to see folks out, you know, just shaking big signs that said, you know, come check out our things or here's a good deal on an eighth or, or things like that.
2: Yeah, and sometimes our opponents will bring that up as a, as a scare tactic, you know, that we should be shocked by this mainstreaming of marijuana. But to me, I think it's probably healthier for us in the long run to treat marijuana like what it really is, just a consumer commodity that adults like and kids shouldn't use. And the less we demonize it and, you know, make it some sort of boogeyman, I think the less attractive it is as forbidden fruit to the youngsters.
1: It's interesting because I think that forbidden fruit thing sort of shows up in some of the international data where we do have some folks in the Netherlands who, you know, when they turn appropriate age, do have that ritual where they go to one of the coffee shops, much like we do here when folks turn 21 and hit the bars. But otherwise, the rates of adolescent use are actually lower in countries like that. Do you see things moving comparably in Oregon in the future, you think?
2: Well, I think so. There was a great political cartoon that came out in our hometown paper, The Oregonian, the day after legalization passed, or maybe it was just the weekend after, but soon after legalization passed, and it features a, a middle-aged couple, uh, overweight dad, overweight mom. He's got the tie-dye t-shirt on. She's got the pot leaf shirt on, and there's there are two kids playing video games in the foreground, and the dad says... Well, kids, now that marijuana is legal here in Oregon, your mom and I are going to go get us a baggie of Maui Wowie, and the kids' thought balloon is, "Oh, geez, pot is so lame." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that will be, you know, a serious. I think seriously, we'll have that sort of difference. I mean, teenagers have always had access. It's the older folks, uh, middle-aged guys like me, and older whose kids are now out of the nest, off to college, and these folks are returning. You know, from the 60s or 70s when they had tried cannabis in the past and now they're trying it again these days and finding it to be something like, you know, sipping a glass of wine at the end of a long day.
1: It's curious, too, that in many ways this is really not a big deal to them at all and not the priority everybody feared.
2: Yeah, I find it interesting that when I talk to activists in this movement that are older than I that have adult children, very few of their adult children actually consume marijuana in any way. (laughs) Like <laughs>
1: Keith Stropps kids come to mind, uh, Rick Cusick's kids. I mean, uh, that's got to say something. Oh, I got a text uh, the other day from my 14 year old saying, "Come pick me up and don't wear a marijuana shirt." <laughs> <laughs> don't embarrass me, Dad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, so listen, I know you're in the thick of it, and you often take a lot of heat from the bloggers and trolls and stuff. And I just wondered how you sort of keep a good attitude.
2: Well, it takes a while to recognize that you can't build up a whole lot of emotion over pixels on a screen while they do represent someone's thoughts. And that's a person out there that's hating on you. Uh, the critics tend to be much louder than the supporters uh, in this sort of business. So, you know, I'll hear some very dedicated trolls that will attack me online, you know, for supporting marijuana legalization. How crazy is that? But uh, I, I try to take it with a grain of salt and to understand that if I'm, I'm having that effect on some people, then my strong opinions are resonating. Whether they resonate for good, you know, some people like them, some people don't. At least they're resonating. Uh, I'd rather be hated than ignored
1: attitude, man. And then, of course, there's the the hallmark guy, the the lightning rod himself, uh, Dr. Kevin Sabat, who seems to keep coming up time and again on this. Do you have any good words to say about Project Sam?
2: Oh, well, Kevin Sabat, I like to say he is the joker to my Batman, and I don't like to call him Project Sam because Project Sam stands for smart approaches to marijuana, and their approach is anything but smart. I like to call them Project Samuel, smart approaches to marijuana use except legalization. <laughs> Their idea is that marijuana still needs to be punished. And, and I always exhort uh, reformers out there when you're talking about marijuana prohibition to frame it in the term of punishment. Sometimes we jump right to arrests or tickets or the collateral consequences of not being able to get a job or an education, which are all you know valid. But it's a lot easier to frame it if you just say punish. Because, under punish, you still can get Kevin Sabet tripped up on the idea of the mandatory rehabs and the screenings. It's like again, you're punishing someone you're you're finding a way to punish someone for using something that's safer than alcohol, and it makes no sense as for something good to say about uh Kevin Sabet and Project Sam, well, they've been consistently wrong. So they do have consistency to their messaging. <laughs> they've been consistently wrong now that the latest Gallup poll shows that once again, Americans at a 58% rate support marijuana legalization. Doesn't look like they're having much effect.
1: It's wild to see the reliability, if you will, despite uh, evidence to the contrary. He did a chapter in my edited book, Pot Politics. Oh, heck, that's been almost 10 years ago now. And the guy just cannot seem to absorb new information.
2: Yeah. And sometimes when we're dealing with these folks, uh, I like to think of it you know, I think a lot of things in life can be translated through high school clicks. And I always think of kevin sabet as the as the smart kid, but not popular and kind of jealous of the popular kids and angry at them and there's some sort of i don't know maybe there's some sort of underlying psychological motivation there that that seems to be driving this I mean Kevin Sabet, when he went to Berkeley, formed students for a drug free Berkeley. Why are you going to Berkeley <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's your
1: mindset I just it's just amazing to me. Talk about an uphill battle. Yes,
2: yeah, so he, he likes to joke that it's like trying to form French for a wine-free France. That's what he says.
1: <laughs> that would be comparably difficult. Yes, yes. Well, so listen, as my uh, cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, would say, we got a pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We're going to get a few words from our sponsors, but please join us right away. With media maven Russ Belleville after these messages.
0: More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
2: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrapreneur.com helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Cannabis confidential with Dr. Dina candid. I want to give you the inside story captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling.
0: Time to fan the fire on some more Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: And we're back. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. We're talking to Russ Belleville, one of the key movers and shakers from the normal world in Portland, Oregon. Can you tell us about what's going on with Portland Normal now that Oregon has a tax and regulated market?
2: Yeah, that's interesting because sometimes that's uh, the question I'll get from people is, well, now that it's legal, why do we need normal? And the normal acronym means National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. To me, now that we have marijuana laws… That even says that we need normal more to guide how those laws are going to be shaped. Right now, what we're dealing with are bans across most of the eastern part of the state that we're working to, you know, overturn. We're working at the city level to make sure that our rights are recognized. Things like, where do we gather? You know, the the laws say that there's no public consumption. And they also say landlords can ban you from use and cultivation in their properties. So if you're a renter and you're an adult... You've got nowhere that you can smoke marijuana, although you are allowed to possess and purchase it. That needs to change. We still lack our Second Amendment rights. It's against the law to provide us with firearms or ammo because we are known abusers of a Schedule One substance. We can still face rejection from organ transplant lists. We can still face difficulties in child custody battles. There's still the problems with uh, student uh, uh, funding, student aid that can crop up. Uh, pardon the pun. Section 8 housing is a difficulty for a lot of people. I mean, there's still a lot of issues, not to mention even all the business issues as far as who can be open, when can they be open, where can they be located, what are the fees, what are the regulations, inspections, etc. So we've got a lot to work with here in Portland.
1: I mean, it's a mind blower. If we ever had a law that said, basically, if you're renting in my apartment, you can't freak out.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. I've spoken to some employment uh, lawyers when I've mentioned the not, you know, being able to work under cannabis. They say, yeah, but there are some companies that aren't hiring people that smoke tobacco now. So we might not have that leg to stand on, you know, being that tobacco's uh the legal substance. I would think at least for a medical consumer, though, someone who's needing to use cannabis and they have a medical uh, certification for that, it, that's a better argument. But um, – We have a long way to go on that front because there's so much of that reefer madness that's still in people's minds about the stoned guy driving the forklift and killing someone at work or or some ridiculous notion like that. You know, the first states didn't example Colorado didn't anticipate how popular edibles would be. And what difficulty that might present with people ingesting too much of them at one time, looking at you, Maureen Dowd. And that's a situation that Oregon's uh, taking up right now as well. But it's one of those situations that if they'd have asked some of us, we could have told them this was the unintended consequence. If you say there's no public consumption of marijuana, you can't smoke it in your hotel room, you can't smoke it at a bar or in a park. If you're a tourist and you want to get high, you decide, well, I'll just try the brownie instead. And then you got people that don't know a thing about edibles, that have no idea to start low and go slow, that end up, you know, freaking out and taking themselves to the emergency room and getting us a really bad stat or headline when that was completely unnecessary. If they'd had a pot lounge to go to and somebody to hang out with, they could have smoked a joint, eaten some munchies, gone back to the hotel room and taken a nap.
1: It's wild. My student, Stacy Farmer, actually is just getting those data together. We're really finding that the rates of folks actually having to go to an emergency room or even get any kind of professional attention is less than 1%. And in fact, the so-called ridiculous outcome has been, oh, I had to go to bed early. <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> and the other thing we have to battle now out here in the West as we enter this new legal marijuana paradigm is as the statistics come out following legalization, our opponents will jump on those to show whatever terrible thing they want to say about legalization. For example, they'll say, well, there's been a doubling or tripling of the number of kids that are reporting to the emergency rooms for overingestion. And I always like to highlight, yes, a double or tripling of the reporting. Now that it's legal, a parent whose kid gets sick on the marijuana stash isn't as scared as reporting that to the hospital that might take their kid away and call the cops because they had an illegal marijuana stash. So much about what we're going to hear statistically about marijuana is confounded by the fact that it was illegal and highly socially stigmatized for so long. Now that it becomes legal. And you see – stat. I think the latest one I saw in the, the news was uh, marijuana use has doubled in 10 years. Oh, really? When we went from George W. Bush putting ads on the Super Bowl saying that marijuana users cause terrorism to having 23 medical marijuana states and four legal states, more people are admitting to an anonymous pollster representing the federal government asking if they're breaking state and federal laws that, yes, they do smoke pot. Wow, what a surprise.
1: <laughs> it's so wild how this self-report bias doesn't seem to register for a lot of folks. And I think people misunderstand that these are often literally on the phone interviews or even face-to-face for some of this data collection. So what a surprise people aren't necessarily willing to admit until it's a legal behavior.
2: Yeah. So we'll have, you know, more people admitting that they use marijuana, perhaps more people who have problems with marijuana, admitting themselves to a rehab because now they don't feel as much stigma in doing so. And then the opponents will jump on that and say, aha, there's a doubling in marijuana addiction. No, there's a more likelihood that someone who's got a problem might seek help now since they're not stigmatized about it. So anything that comes out from the prohibitionist mouth as far as the stats after legalization, you've really got to consider how much of that is the fact that now that it's legal, people are willing to be honest
1: You alluded to this eastern Oregon move for some counties to basically try to get around the state laws or something like that. Can you give us a little detail about that?
2: Sure. It's, It's something I like to call the West Idaho Compromise because eastern Oregon from the Cascades East, Cascade Mountains East, might as well be Idaho culturally religiously geographically demographically speaking it might as well be idaho and i'm originally from idaho so i'm you know not casting aspersions necessarily i'm just saying they're they're much different and i think there's a lot of states that way i think you know downstate new york versus upstate new york is probably a similar situation the edges of pennsylvania versus the middle of pennsylvania probably a similar situation but what's happened that's so egregious with respect to our democracy is that we passed a statewide initiative that said There's local control. If your city or county wants to ban pot businesses, that's cool, but you have to take it to the people for a vote. And statewide, we passed by 56 percent a law that said bans have to go to the voters. But then it went to the legislature to set up all the regulations and laws surrounding that uh, initiative, and they came up with a compromise because these eastern Oregon, small-town, rural, conservative counties and cities – so badly wanted to ban marijuana, they didn't want the chance of it going to the voters and possibly not being accepted by the voters. That is, these city councils and county commissions wanted to be able to do it on a 5-4 vote or a 3-2 vote rather than taking it to the people. So a compromise was brokered in the Senate that said any of the counties that voted more than 55% against the statewide initiative didn't have to obey the statewide initiative with respect to the bans. That is, these eastern Oregon counties, they can ban, and it doesn't automatically go to the voters. The western Oregon counties, if they ban, it automatically goes to the voters. So in a sense, we split our state in two and really subverted the process of democracy here in Oregon. It's very upsetting the precedent that's been set here that the eastern Oregon counties can stop their feet and hold their breath and not have to obey a statewide law.
1: Well, and I'm stunned by this because clearly if any other law had this sort of arrangement, people would be up in arms and it would be before uh, some kind of local court relatively quickly. And yet this has somehow gotten a little traction. Do you have yes. any insight into how that might have happened?
2: Yes, and we can boil it all down to the Schedule One designation at the federal level of marijuana and it was the threat by the eastern oregon counties that if we didn't go along with this compromise they would take us to federal court and try to get an injunction against the entire state's marijuana commerce program
1: wow so basically threatening to go tell mom and dad of the feds yes. if you don't get things to go exactly the way you want yes
2: and it And it's frustrating. You know, one of their rationales was, well, look, these people just voted in a statewide election about marijuana legalization and they rejected it overwhelmingly. Why should we force them to go to the polls again a second time to reject it? And my response to that was because it's a different question now. When the first question came out, marijuana was illegal. And we were asking, should marijuana be legal and should there be pot shops? Now that marijuana is legal, the question is, okay, now that it's legal, Should there be pot shops? And that's a different question because now that it's legal, the eastern counties can't stop the personal possession of an ounce in public, can't stop the personal cultivation of four plants and possession of eight ounces. So do you want those people supplying the market or do you want a store supplying the market so that you can get some tax cut off of this? That's a new question. But unfortunately, the voters of eastern Oregon will never get to answer that question unless they – proactively go forth and put an initiative on the ballot of their own and that of course costs money and time
1: man this is just uh scratching the surface i realize but i appreciate you helping to spread the word for folks as each individual state starts to legalize we got to keep this stuff in mind hey we've been chatting with marijuana media maven radical rational russ (laughs) belville one of the key movers and shakers of portland normal russ thanks so much for being on the show
2: Thank you so much, and join me on election night 2015. I'll be in Columbus, Ohio, bringing you the live results from Issue 3.
1: Oh, superb. And listen, folks, another word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with our favorite self-compassion in the art of activism. Please stay tuned.
0: More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate.
2: <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case.
0: <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. It's how we support the Cannabis Crusade. Today's focus is on behavioral activation, which is just a fancy way of saying doing fun stuff. I'm oversimplifying. But you can imagine that doing fun stuff is bound to be pretty good. In truth, I should call it doing fun stuff that's consistent with your values. But if I'm going to get that silly, I might as well just call it behavior. We've got tons and tons of research now showing that behavioral activation is good for just about anything that might bother anyone. So let me lay out the big idea. Enjoyable, important activities – improve mood in the long run. That's really it. I know it seems kind of self-evident, and we all know it, but we don't often do it. One way of thinking about it, as my dad used to say in a misquote of Hemingway, good is what you feel good after. What's this all really mean? In a way, it means have fun every day and keep your eye on the prize. So first, scheduling fun things is important. It doesn't have to be a giant bacchanalia party morning, noon, and night, but you ought to have something planned that you can look forward to each day. Behavioral activation started as a treatment for depression, and I think this part, the scheduling fun, is really the key. We all get sucked into thinking that working harder and longer is somehow going to lead to more happiness and more success, but we're not machines. Working harder and longer no matter what just turns into a drag. Scheduling something fun every day, however, is a really good lesson. In part, it gets us to set time aside just for fun and we have to schedule the other parts of our day so we get a little bit organized in a backhanded way just by making sure we make fun a priority. Second, What's odd is sometimes we don't even know what sorts of everyday activities actually make us feel better in the long run. The only way to find out is keep track. I know it sounds compulsive and weird, but if we write down what we do each day, how important it felt, and how fun it felt, we actually end up learning a ton. We all think we know how we spend our day. So monitoring our activities is often a surprising eye-opener. And the ratings are super important. Some things are important but not very fun, like my laundry. Some are fun but not very important, like taking a nap. And some are fun but not as fun as we might guess, like TV. Then there will be a few things that are important and fun, And those are the ones we really want to increase. So for me, it's dinner with my friends and family. They not only feel good at the time, but you feel good at the end of the day. What monitoring often reveals is that we like activities that are consistent with our values, even if they aren't necessarily a laugh a minute at the time. Valued actions make us feel better in the long run. What are they? Well, they're different for everybody. A lot of valued actions fall into simple categories. Enhancing relationships, improving skills, taking good care of ourselves, helping a cause. So I might choose an activity each day that's consistent with the value. If I want to enhance relationships, I might call my dad and talk about that Hemingway quote. If I want to improve a skill, I might practice the drum a little. If I want to take good care of myself, I got to hop on the exercise bike. If I want to help a cause, well, let's just say I'm grateful for cannabis radio. Much as I hate to admit it, another valued category is daily responsibilities. It's those important things that aren't fun, but you know, you got them get done, getting papers graded, laundry done, lunches packed. It's not nonstop ecstasy, but I'm always glad when I get it over with. So, Hey, If we schedule fun every day, we're going to be glad we did. Do as many things as possible that are consistent with your values. Keep track of your activities. See what you enjoy doing and what makes you feel good later. These are the actions that it's probably best to repeat. If you're doing something you don't enjoy at the time, see if you connect it to your bigger values. I got to go unload the dishwasher now and I'm hardly thrilled But I want to make my house a place where people can nourish themselves in comfort. If I keep that big value in mind, it makes the task a little easier. And, hey, I'm just glad at the end of the day. So thanks for listening to Burning Issues at CannabisRadio.com. You can also find us on iHeartRadio and iTunes. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brosco. And our special guest, Radical Russ Belleville of Portland Normal. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide.